Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Woodpad Reads. And today I'll be reviewing the book Petty Betty. It's marked as mature. It has 156,000 reads, 11,000 votes, and 52 parts and counting. So I'll go ahead and read the summary for you. The girl moved like a queen, and she didn't even know it. Trials and tribulations had always been the name of Ashanti Moore's game. She'd come to accept it as they were, her trials, and deemed herself lucky to ever surpass them. But as we all know, at one point or another, we can only weed through the hurt for so long. Will the 22-year-old find it within her heart to bounce back this time? Find out as we journey into the psyche of Miss Petty Betty. Um, so, you know, you, not everyone doesn't do it my way, but when I read the summary of a book, it tells me what I need to know if I want to read it, if I want to pass it. And for the, from the summary, it didn't really catch me that much. It didn't really catch me, but I really wanted to dive in because the the cover of the book really got me and that's how I came to want to read it so I will be reading the first two chapters and here we go chapter one a rose which fades luck It was a word of which I knew all too well. I lived its meaning every single day, loving it, breathing it since I could remember. Taking it for granted would place it far past redeemable transgressions in my eyes. It had been so very good to me. Luck had been there on the day of my birth, holding on to tiny hands as death nearly gripped me. Luck had been there on those nights when my younger brother Amir and I were hungry, yet had no real meals to eat. He had been but a baby during that time, and I, a teen. We would learn to acquire a taste for honey on plain white bread when I wasn't at school. The taste still lingered on. It became my shadow, this luck. My best friend, my all. It kept me humble throughout my life, and now, here it was to reward me once more, granting me the single most deepest desire of my heart. I'd been accepted into one of the most prestigious universities in the grand state of New York. Chatsman University. As a freshman, I was beyond eager to begin a brand new chapter of my life, diving into whatever academics Chatsman had to offer me. Everything was so new, so shiny, so inviting. Never had I ever felt so welcomed before. I needed it, craved it, and not before long, it had consumed me. I was happy there. For the first time in my entire life, I was really happy. But that happiness was nothing but a sham, woven like like a spider's web over my heart and mind. It made me forget the broken pieces of myself, the memories of which my significance stood firm. And for this, my foundation began to crack, and crack, and crack until everything fell apart. I should have stayed humble. I should have held on to the fact that I was never nothing more than a speck of dust who had forgotten how lucky she truly was. Maybe if I had this luck, my luck, wouldn't have shifted. It had turned into a fog, thick and gray, here to teach me a lesson in the most spiteful of ways. My focus refused to stay on my calculus professor, Mrs. Marvis. 
the middle-aged woman in her southern drawl of her voice, had been prepping our class for our up-and-coming midterms. She could not stress the relevance of it any stronger, repeatedly stating that it will account for 30% of our grades. My classmates hung onto her every word, diligently scribbling down study notes as Mrs. Marvis strolled on and on. I, on the other hand, hadn't even touched my ballpoint pen. Since I had decided to study both night and day, sleep was not an option. I didn't find a need to. I had done very well on my past tests and was confident that this would be like the rest. Now, here I sat in class, nipping at the tip of my fingernail as my eyes mindlessly drifted out to the windows by my far left. I sighed to myself. It was such a beautiful day this morning. The type where it was not too cold and yet not too hot. The type of day when no one batted an eyelash if you wore thin cotton sweaters with shorts and sneakers. They were my favorite kind of days. Suddenly, something fluttering against the soft current of wind had grasped my attention. A little robin. Flapping his little wings the color of rust, I watched as he flew into a nearby yellowing oak tree. There he stayed for a moment, his beak opening and closing as he chirped an inaudible chirp. Silently, I wished that I could hear his lovely sing-song. As if to answer his call, another bird had appeared beside him. They started to sing to each other, the two birds, as they gently nudged one another. And as soon as they came, they were gone, flying off together far past my sights. When they disappeared, I felt the sensation of an object tingling in my jeans, making my focus shift once more, swift making my focus shift once more. Swiftly, I drew my hand inside of it and removed the item, my cell phone. Not wanting it to be a distraction, I had chosen to ignore it, but as I unlocked its screen, I instantly regretted that choice. The words, 22 missed calls, 10 new messages, and 22 new voicemails had made me visibly wince. Keeping up with my phone was something that I was terrible at, admittedly. My studies came first, and that was that. But seeing as though I was already ahead of the curve, I let curiosity drive me to look through the phone. I read over the messages first. They were as I had expected them to be, for the most part. Mutual classmates subtly begging for study cheats, my roommates sending me invites to parties for the umpteenth time. But there also was one other which caught my eye. It was from my boyfriend of three months, Marcus. The message read, My first thought in the morning is always you. I think I read that online somewhere, but it's so damn true. Also, that rhymed. Softly, I chuckled and shook my head. He would always send me these corny texts, but what may be corny to me was real in his eyes. A sophomore to my freshman, I had always thought we were mismatched from the get-go, but he never saw it that way. He wanted me for me and could care less of my class. I absolutely adored everything about him, from his beautifully warm brown skin stretching across his five foot nine height to heart stopping piercing hazel eyes of which she was blessed with. And when he smiled, oh God, when he smiled, it was enough to make my knees buckle. That was only the beginning of it. Despite his ridiculous attractiveness, there was one solitary thing that I loved most about him. It was that I could tell that man anything, all of my securities included. It's true. I had, without a shadow of a doubt, fallen for Marcus Wright, and and I relished every second of it. You better wipe that grin off your lips before you end up in trouble, my mind scolded me. And it was right. 
It always was. Snapping out of my drifting thoughts on my dear boyfriend, I surpassed the few remaining unread texts and came back the, and came back to the missed calls and voicemails, having remembered them. Twenty-two of them. Twenty-two. I couldn't wrap my head around that. Why so many? I definitely wasn't pop- popular here or anywhere else, for that matter. There will be a chance at a makeup test should any of you do poorly, I heard Mrs. Marvis said, say. My finger pressed upon the log list of calls and voicemails. If you have any further questions, please feel free to let me know. I am more than happy to assist. And then my grin had disappeared completely. The calls, the voicemails, they were all from my mother. My mother. Really? She never called me, not even when I first left to join Chatsman. Not ever. So why now? To what do I owe this sudden abundance of intrigue? I guess there's only way to, one way to find out. I reach down in my bag and pull out a set of flimsy headphones, quickly sticking one butt in my ear as I attach the cord to my phone. Then I played back the mail, and as I did, my entire world stopped, cracked, and shattered altogether. I had been expecting to hear my mother's voice replaying back to me. Indeed, I heard it, but in the form of hysterical screams as my father spoke over her, her own voice, unstable. He was chanting a single sentence over and over against his constant sobs. Ashanti, please come home. We need you. And before I know what I was doing, I grabbed my bag and stood to my feet. Startled by my abrupt behavior, I heard Mrs. Marvis call to me, but I was long out the classroom door before she or anyone else could stop me. I drove and I drove and I drove. Silent, distressed, heart hammering like a drum in my ears. The cars around just wouldn't seem to move fast enough. My own early 2000s model Camry wouldn't seem to go fast enough. Everything was just too slow, too damn slow. What was supposed to be a 10-minute drive had turned into 30 by the time my old stumping grounds came into view, and even then, traffic continued on at a snail's pace. Come on, come on, come on. Just drive a little bit faster for me, I pleaded to a silver Honda ahead of me. Miraculously, my wish came true, and the car made a left turn. I wasted no time in pushing my speed until the familiarity of my surroundings came crashing down on me, releasing memories of houses worn down from years of neglect, as well as tattered and broken concrete sidewalks. I remembered it all. It was face to face with it again. Like a nightmare, the memories kept invading my space each way I look. Pitbulls tied up short, pitbulls tied up to short wired fences, barking at passersby. Nameless women standing on street corners, their clothes and hair askew. The woman looked at me in my car, eyes burning with putrid disgust. I purposely broke off eye contact with them and kept going. Finally, I saw it, my neighborhood. I knew my house was near, but I could not see it. The rest of the road had been blocked off by police squad cars, an ambulance, and curious bystanders. I cursed under my breath and pulled the car to a stop, ripping the key from the ignition as I pushed the door open. My legs worked to carry me further into the scene, pushing past person after person until I all but ran into a barricade. My eyes scanned the area, looking past the swarm of cops infesting the place. 
They were in frantic search of only two people, my mother and father. They came into contact with my father first. He, with his hands covering his face, was sitting in the dying grass of my old home, rocking back and forth as his body heaved. Dad. I walked past the barricade, magnetically drawn to my father's dismay. I needed to know what the hell was going on. Why were the cops here? Where's mom? A hand roughly tugged my shoulder backward, making me almost stumble. Angered, my eyes darted in the direction of the culprit. A male cop, much bigger than I, cared to admit. This is a crime scene, ma'am. No outsiders allowed. Please get back. He informed me, his voice monotonous as he forcefully pushed me back towards the barricade. I shrugged his hand off. I'm no outsider. This is my old town, and that's my dad over there. Let me through. I pointed in my father's direction. His eyes glanced where I pointed, softening up as guilt shrouded them. Oh. Standing down, he stepped aside and let me pass. My sincerest condolences. Leaving the cop behind, I make my move towards my father, my heart catching in my throat as he drew nearer and nearer. My pace slowed as I finally stood before him. For an uncomfortable moment, I just stood there and listened to him cry, unsure of how to react. My father was a tough man, an old school man who was never one to be so open like this. The sight just about did my heart in. Dad, I whispered, I'm here. I'm home. His crying is hushed by my voice. He looked up, bloodshot eyes meeting mine. Grabbing me and pulling me close, he fell apart in my arms. Ashanti, he sobbed. Never in my wildest dreams I could have pictured you coming back home to such a tragedy like this. Oh God, I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. I pulled him away from me, steadying his slumped shoulders in my arms. Dad, Dad, look at me. Look at me, I commanded. What happened? His mouth held no words to be spoken, but his eyes held all the answers. They trailed far past me and into the street. I followed them and witnessed what he was staring at. There, in the street, covered by a black plastic sheet, was a body. The body laid still, unnervingly still, surrounded by a thin pool of blood. An officer was knelt beside the body, a clipboard in one hand and a pen in the other. His face was stone cold as he reached down to adjust the sheet. Just before he'd done so, my eyes swept across a tiny hand peeking out the side of the sheet before it was gone from view. And just like that officer, I had ran absolutely cold. My eyes stayed with that body, although my tongue spoke to my father, shaking uncontrolled. Dad, where's Amir? Okay, so right off the bat, I loved the intro, how it gave a little insight to her personality before I read on. I love the little dedication included. It said, hold on a sec guys. It said, for every girl and every boy who's ever felt like they were never good enough for whatever reason, I dedicate this story to you. Let's all be petty together, shall we? 
and I just felt like that was comical but at the same time touching and so very honest and open and true so I really love the dedication and um, also in the you know the part before they start the chapter let's just call it the dedication um you know sometimes authors include pictures of different people as their characters and personally I dislike when authors give faces to the characters because then I feel like I can't use my own imagination for them it's not a big deal it's not a big pet peeve of mine but it is something that you know I prefer authors do less but yeah you know it is what it is it's their book they use it how they want and I agree if that's what they find would engage their audience more then go ahead so chapter one I love the diction here a play on words always gets me intrigued when she said I lived its meaning every single day loving it breathing it since I could remember taking it for granted would place it far past redeemable transgressions in my eyes it had been so very good to me end quote and that the play on words here her diction it's amazing I love that quote I actually saved that and I um go I'm going to post it on my woodpad feed so be sure to check that out and I also loved how the author hinted towards a poor life when she was a baby she said you know death nearly had a grip on her that also raised the flag in my mind I was like what was she premature was she about to like literally die did they have to um you know take her out of her mother's womb and work on her that was just you know she didn't tell so much she gave enough leeway for me to use my thoughts my imaginations to guess what happened to her so I loved it I also loved how the paragraphs are spaced out. That's a small thing, I know, but in the long run, I feel like it it adds to a lot. It really does, because sometimes I read books, and the paragraphs are not spaced, and I'm like, what's happening here? Like, where does it begin? Where does it end? Who's talking? Like, you know, but she spaced them out beautifully. I, I, I just loved it. I loved her diction there. And another quote that I'm going to read. But the happiness was nothing but a sham, woven like a spider's web over my heart and mind. That quote was so deep. I, when I read that, I like stopped, did a double take, read it like three more times. And then I saved it to, because a quote list in my notes because I just write down quotes. That's just something personal that I like to do. And that really stood out to me. I appreciated that. And it was, it told me that her happiness was weak and breakable at any time. And I just loved how she, you know, used the play on words and everything. And also from reading it, I realized that it was in past tense. And, you know, personally, I, I prefer in present tense, but like I said, it's not a big deal. I loved it. It was awesome. And I like how she stayed with one tense throughout the entire story. So that was chapter one review. I loved it. Okay, so I know I didn't read chapter two, 
or three in this episode, but I went on to continue putting my thoughts here. Um, In chapter two, it's constantly describing the color of the characters. And I was like, okay, we get it. Because, you know, with Marcus, oh, the caramel guy and her, oh, her dark chocolate skin. And every other character was, oh, their mocha and this and that. And I'm like, okay, we we know they're black. (laughs) But, you know, that was just one thing that was really like, okay, for me, you know, but... Um, And also the wording seems a bit unnatural at points. Um, Here she says, you have no reasons to say such things like that. That was a character speaking. And I'm like, in real life, who says things like that? You know, so, you know, I would wish she would just be more casual. Like it was a real person would say, you don't say that. You don't need to say that. Like something simple like that. No need to, you know, speak all proper or let the characters speak all proper because in real real life no one actually speaks that proper and also in chapter three also the unnatural wording i picked up there um but it wasn't so much in chapter three i think and i also wish some of the words would have been more relatable um i think that ties hand in hand with the unnatural wording so if that could have just been more relatable or casual I would have you know appreciated it more but you know so and also in chapter three it says in one of I wrote down in one of the chapters where it explained the main character and the, the, the guitarist met over a year ago I was confused I feel like the author didn't show that the trans- that transition of time clearly because I completely missed it. So in chapter three, um, or in chapter two, she met someone. I'm not gonna give away too much too much details, but she met someone, and and then it goes on into chapter three. They're them meeting again, but somewhere she said it was over a year ago that we first met, and so on. And I was like, what? When's the when was the change in time, the time passing? I was so confused. I had to read some comments and, you know, people were confused as well. But if I really go back, like read the chapter at the beginning, I kind of, kind of got it a little bit, but it wasn't really stressed. It wasn't really shown as much. But overall, I love the book. I am still currently reading it. I haven't put it down since I started, and I would definitely recommend it. It's chiclet, so if that's anyone's favorite genre, then you would love this book. Shout out to Raining Desire. Um, it's amazing, honestly. Definitely added to my private library, and I will continue to read it until the story is over. So that's all we have for today's episode, but be sure to check out my own books, Vanilla Twilight, Dawn, Friends, Understanding Him. If you love drama or real life issues or even chiclet, you'll definitely love those. And I also want to hear from you. If you guys want to contact me in any way, review your books, leave me a message, 
do you want me to give you a shout out, just contact me on Instagram at roxy.ruby, Twitter at green tea baddie, woodpad, misunderstood98, or Snapchat, Roxanne Ruby. And I'll be definitely sure to reply. Check out whatever you want me to read, review yours. I'll be here. Thanks, guys. See you next time.